Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the coronavirus. We're going to talk about reaching the next generation, and we're going to talk about cell phone addiction. You're listening to the Common Good. everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Plus, that is where we post all of our articles. You can weigh in there. You can send us messages. You can also rate and review the Facebook page. That helps us out a whole heap of a lot. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good on Twitter at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcast. If you are a podcaster, uh, I just want to say thank you so much. Mm-hmm. If a little uh, subscribe rate review does help us out, I just was meeting with a pastor today who said that there was a woman in his church in her late 80s that was looking to get into podcasts, and ours was on a big list of suggestions he made. Wow. And ours was the first one that she chose. And the next time she saw him, she said, if you know those guys, please tell them how much I appreciate their show. No way. Couldn't believe okay, it. that makes me I sh- feel so good. I should have gotten the name, but he was like, just want you to know. Yes. That uh, out here, out here, they're kind of out in the sticks a little bit. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lady in her mid 80s that really, really loves uh, your show and what you guys are doing. Easily my favorite part of the day, right there. <laughs> <laughs> Says anyone, the guy who was 10 minutes late today, say, and just <laughs> running up the stairs. 10 yeah. minutes late. Yeah. Know, 17 ish, minutes late. 10 ish. Yeah. Late. If we're rounding up, it was 20 <laughs> minutes late, Brian. That's what I love about I'll be 10 minutes late, and John and I are just watching the clock climb. I'm like, this yeah. is. It was, might have been wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. One of those days where you just get caught in a meeting and you're like, come on, come on, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh, I'm past it now. <laughs> were you yelling, uh oh, uh oh, in, in, in mind, the middle of the. It was like that scene in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Have you seen that movie? Ah, long time Steve Martin remember, and Mike, yeah. Michael Caine. I don't remember it. It's probably best scene? that I not do it, actually. Oh, okay. I, I don't know that it translates to our PC culture right now, but uh, it was it was kind of unavoidable. Um, but I, I threw in a bunch of different articles That's about right. coronavirus today, and I'm just going to run through just a couple of the headlines, and then with whatever time we have, yeah. we'll drill down deep. Uh, some of you have already heard or been talking about Craig Gauchel, uh, who is... Uh, I think self-quarantined after a coronavirus exposure at a uh, an event in Germany. Yep. Um, there's another one that you found about a pastor who was saying, what was the, what did he actually say? What was the actual quote? Uh, I believe it is, here, let me look up, because it's based, the premise is if you, uh, he was talking about tithing, uh, and he gave literally Destiny Church leader in, this is in New Zealand, said, uh Psalm 91 protection policy against coronavirus. Oh, boy. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. And he went on to say, we needn't fear it. There's a lot of hysteria that is engendered by certain elements about this pandemic. Hmm. And he went on to say, as long as you're tithing, uh, the tithe-paying believer, you're the only one that can walk through atmospheres and has literally a protection the Psalm 91 protection policy. Okay. I'm it's, preaching that this Sunday, baby. You absolutely should not. Just, I, it's probably pretty clear, I think, if you've been following the show at all. Yeah, but we just, don't do well with this Just one. to be clear, though, it's not good theology. Just, Bad theology. Just in general. Yes. It's another one that I found on uh, Forbes. It says, stop using the coronavirus as an excuse to be mm. racist. That one's pretty intense. Um, there's a couple others about more of a religious philosophical take. One of them says... How we respond to coronavirus outbreaks may depend on what we want from religion. That one's yeah. pretty interesting. And lastly, what Martin Luther teaches us about coronavirus. So that's sort of a uh, 
a smorgasbord of options, Brian. Yeah. Which one of those five do you want to tackle first? Well, first, the, the Grishel one was just interesting to me because it's him and also I forget the name of the other guy who's from his church, the other guy. as, uh, if, as Bobby Grunwald, yeah. As if, as if Bobby Grunwald hasn't done anything. He's the main guy who started the version Bible app. Oh, <laughs> that's so, his – okay. Yes. Like, Craig Grishel and also some the other – The other guy <laughs> who started the version Bible app. <laughs> And uh, they, they were at a conference, a Willow Creek conference in Germany, and uh, one of the p- presenters tested positive for the coronavirus, I believe. And so basically they've self-quarantined, uh, and they're going to be locked up, locked up, not like it's prison, locked up in their houses. Hmm. Uh, also, they said with some minimal contact with their own families right. for two weeks. And I don't know why. You put a name like Craig Grishel to it, who's got like the biggest church in America, and you're kind of like, wow. Yeah. Like, I don't I want to know, do you preach if that's you, do you preach via video or do you go, I'm I'm out they, for two they weeks? They already the, mostly preach via video. No, but like do you preach from your house? Who comes in and shoots that video? Is it on or is he off now? I wonder. I mean, we all got video cameras on our phones, man. I'm sure. I want to know what they do this week. You don't think he'll preach? I don't know. Oh, I didn't even consider that. I just assumed he would. What if they set up a camera crew but through the window? <laughs> be like an episode of uh just drew a blank. What show is like that? I have no idea. Hmm. The Bachelor? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. They like toss a microphone in. The other one I liked was on religion news, how research uh, can about how faith groups respond to the coronavirus. And the reason I found this article interesting, it says how we respond to coronavirus outbreaks may depend on what we want from religion. Yeah. One reason I found this interesting is who the author is. Uh, the author is Jamie Atten. Jamie Atten's actually been on our show before. Uh-huh. He is the founder and an executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College. You might remember, uh, those of you who've listened to the show for a while, uh, he was not only in the middle of Hurricane Katrina, he also right. survived stage four cancer. Right, right. And so when he writes about this kind of stuff, and then his specialty is literally humanitarian and aid and disasters. Uh, and so someone like him to reflect on here. He closes his article by saying our faith leaders need to lead the way in reminding people of faith that documented cases in the U.S. currently are very low, while clergy encourage people to wash their hands before coming to services and stay home if they feel ill. They might also encourage others to live out their faith more intrinsically, to faithfully prepare and to reject fear-driven panic, stigmatization, and prejudice. And so we'll put this one up on our Facebook page, but... I found that article interesting, mostly not just for what it said, but for who it was who wrote it. Yeah, let me read a little bit from the article. Yeah. And we put all five of these on the Facebook yeah, page go read already. Them. So uh, I would encourage you to read them. They're all very different types of articles, but they're all, I thought, pretty timely. So uh, he talks about what social psychologists refer to as terror management theory, the idea that human beings will go to great lengths to avoid reminders of their own mortality. Mm. We do this as a way to manage our anxiety. In our lab-based study of Ebola as an existential threat, we found that individuals high in what's called extrinsic religiosity, who tend to engage religion for its personal and social benefits, like emotional security and strengthened in-group ties, uh, reported more fearful responses. We saw the opposite effect among participants who scored high in intrinsic religiosity, Mm. those motivated by a religious framework who attempt to live out their faith Accordingly, these individuals for whom their faith appeared to be more central to their daily life reported less fearful views. You're a pastor. We got just like a minute left. Like, have you found that to be true? Has there been any kind of bubbling up of panic? Are you finding both sides of the coin in your church or people sending you private emails like, hey, I don't want to cause a stir, but 
as my pastor, do you have a position on this? Not or? that, not like that, but like last week I did get some messages and we actually changed up the way we did communion, uh, not for the coronavirus, but more like the flu, but it was more just this feel that there's a lot of sickness going around. Yeah, right. So I do think, I just think there is with each day a little more fear as you get, you know, I think what was it, the city of Seattle shut the schools down right. and Facebook and Microsoft are telling their workers if you can to work from home. Well, that's the cues we're taking to yeah. at community. Like we're until the schools make these decisions, we're going right. to kind of right. So we we have some protocols in place for flu and stuff, but trying to help and kind of uh, mitigate everyone's expectations. At the end of this month, me and my family are flying to Florida for spring break, and my oh, wife nice. asked me yesterday, like, do you think this will affect it? And for the first time, I was like. Yeah, maybe. Oh, it might. Yeah. Like, I, it hadn't even gotten over, like, it hadn't even been a possibility in my mind until she was like, is this going to be an issue? And my first response was like, no. But then you're like, oh, wait, they're already canceling some domestic right. flights. Already right. Doing this. So I was like, uh-oh, I want to get on my spring break. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. I think I think it's only going to get uh, more fearful and weirder and just uh, 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 this is going to become a bigger deal, uh, I would guess. Uh, before it gets smaller. Uh, I know we got no time, but I would encourage people to also read the Christianity Today article about Martin Luther. It's a, got, it's a great historical article about, I never knew that the Black Death Plague was right in his city, and uh -huh. he wrote oh, about yeah. how Christians should respond to it. It's really interesting. So all five of, the, five of them are there. I encourage you to go check them out because I think they're really interesting. Plus, it's interesting to uh, maybe get out of our information streams, especially about something like this where everyone's talking about. So I tried to provide like a rich diversity of perspectives and angles there and uh, all that to say, we'd love to know what you think. Well, coming up next, an article by Tony Morgan. He wrote an article that said, 10 signs your weekend services aren't designed for the next generation. A little bit later in the show, I'm going to read an article about somebody who responded to this article. We're going to do his article first and then later in the show we'll respond. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. I don't know why I said it like that. Because uh, you've been to Tennessee. Uh, I've been to The Common Good. Yep. I did say a lot more y'alls than I was anticipating. <laughs> I do already kind of say y'all, but yeah. something about being in the South for a week just brought it out of me, man. I don't. Are you like that when you travel to other parts of the world? Like you kind of adopt the accent mm, a little bit? Even I don't just, think so. Really? Yeah. And even it's, like, I don't even have a, I never really had the New Jersey accent. Now I go back to Jersey and I'm like, where I grew up and people, it's like, so pronounced. I'm and not putting you wife, on. What is the New Jersey accent again? I can't do it. You couldn't you'd even fake it? I can't, but you'd recognize. I'm terrible at like impressions. <laughs> Please, even more. But even, I remember more we went back to Jersey and asked my wife, like when we first met like in college, when I was living in Jersey, like did I have that accent? She's like, you never had that accent. You never? How did you? I don't know. It's weird because I grew up in the same spot my whole life in Jersey. But Your parents do? Uh, do they have an accent? My mom does because she grew up in Brooklyn. So that is like, oh. she's got that New York accent. So that's kind of the epicenter. Yes, 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 yes. I'm honest, I honestly is can't there a Michigan accent? picture it. So fun fact, southeastern Michigan, at least for a long time, was technically the broadcast standard dialect for the country. Really? It is, at least at the time that I was doing my two-year associate's degree, they said th this is technically a no accent zone. So when people are trying to like shed their childhood accents, especially when they're going into some kind of broadcast yep, medium, yep, yep. Southeastern Michigan is what they're shooting for. That's wild. Cause you get to the upper peninsula with the Youpers. Do you know they're called Youpers? I did know that. Yeah. That took a, me a while to know what that was. That is a big time accent. Totally different. Okay. But more like Canadian. A lot more Canadian, Minnesotan, yeah, okay. something, something kind of in that vein. Yeah. The, what we learned here is that I, I literally am awful at like, Doing that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
Maybe maybe by the time the show is done, he'll give us an accent. I'll be. <laughs> y- y'all just need be, to wait. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be practicing quietly under your breath. Y'all just need to wait. Did I give information yet? I don't nope, think I did. did. Not. All right. So Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, plus wherever it is you get your podcast and uh, a little subscribe rate review, if you're willing. Mm-hmm. Does mean a lot to us. You yeah. hit that share button, post it online if you want. Any of that exposure, we're still kind of a new show, so uh, we do greatly appreciate all of that. Here's an article. This is going to fit in a category of things that I, I'm guessing you and I aren't going to totally agree with the author entirely mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. Begins a little snarky, but the title is hashtag OK Boomer. Ten signs your weekend services aren't designed for the next generation. Yep. You could almost even just argue with that premise. Like, yes, you can. What else should they be? Right. Is that the goal of a weekend service right maybe answer that question should our services be aimed specifically for a generation would it be naive to say not a little bit or i I think there's some naiveness to say that we don't aim at something right like i would like i would like to believe that we can craft services that that are aimed at everybody yeah but i think most most profet most uh experts would say yeah you can't do that well it doesn't work that way and that's kind of this is tony morgan uh from the unstuck group and and he's really saying that that's not the case you're kind of shooting at a generation well and how he begins it kind of shows his cards he's like that's right the 1990s called and they want their sunday services back (laughs) i'm reading that what's what's he thinking yeah i'm like i like the 1990s so it's a list of 10 so why don't we uh we might have to hustle a little bit but let's get through these 10 and then what the time we have left you know, you and I can be curmudgeonly old man. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the 90s and uh, Christianity, <laughs> I was driving in Wheaton today. Yeah. And uh, maybe she's listening. There was somebody running for like state rep or something. Yeah. I saw a yard sign. Amy Grant. Oh, yeah. Right was, on. I, and every song was just flooding my head of as course. I'm driving right now. What, what was and on I the top just, of that list? I, my father's eyes. Uh, of course. And I just love the fact that it's in Wheaton. <laughs> yes, right. That couldn't be more perfect. She's running she knows it. that. Yes. Her, it, Grant's not even her real her last middle name. middle name is she, Grant. Right. She, she went, I'm Amy Grant for this one. All right. Number one in Tony Morgan's list here is you tell people to open up their Bibles and turn to a certain chapter and verse. Uh, he goes on to say the next generation carries their Bibles with them all the time on their phone app. Turn on your Bibles would be more appropriate. I'm not going to lie. I don't love that. Nope, I do not either. Number two, you are concerned about the volume of the music, the amount of haze or the movement of lights during the music. Yes, you will absolutely find a young adult that prefers softer music, no haze and no moving lights, but they probably have learned those preferences from their churchy parents. Interesting. Churches that are reaching the next generation in large numbers are concerned not only for the specific music that they use, but the worship experience that they are creating. Mm, I feel like I'm 0 for 2 here on my agreements. <laughs> uh, number three, you pass the offering plate. How dare you? Unless you have a way for people to Venmo that offering plate, you're highly unlikely to find the next generation carrying cash or their checkbook. Scratch that. They don't even own a checkbook. I mean, that's kind of true. Mm-hmm. We do both, though. We, I, I mean, we do both, absolutely. Although at Poplar Creek, we didn't uh, pass at all. We had a box in the back okay. that we called the Joy Box. I remember that. And every time we that. said Joy Box, everyone would go, Woo! <laughs> Which, for newcomers, was terrifying. Uh, number four, what's the name of the list again? Number uh, four in the, where's the you're title? Not reached, your services aren't designed for the next generation. Aren't reaching the next generation. Okay, so number four, he says, you ask new guests to complete a connection card. That's antiquated, he says. Young adults are message, uh, use messaging apps to communicate. What's app? Exactly. 
Uh, there are so many that I do here that I don't know if I should be convicted or just disagree <laughs> with him. Number five, your message illustrations draw on movie, celebrity, or other cultural references from the last decade or earlier. Ooh. Yes, you need to study God's word, but you also need to study today's culture if you want to teach truth and help the next generation apply it to their lives. No more Lord of the Rings clips, please. <laughs> I think Lord of the Rings is a little evergreen. Little known fact, I've never sat through any of the Lord of the Rings movies. What? It's a true statement. Are you even a Christian? (laughs) (laughs) Not only have I not read the books, I have not seen the movies. You've not read the books? No. Oh, boy. I'm super concerned about your soul right now. Yes. I made it through four years of week. I think pastor needs to be in air quotes from from here on out until you actually take care of that. Uh, Number six and ten reasons you're not reaching the next generation. You still have a CD ministry for people who don't know how to stream messages on their phones or computers. Don't laugh. I saw one during a church visit within the last couple of months. I'm a little. This is the kind of one where I'm like, you're saying to anyone who doesn't know how to stream um, we got nothing for you. We, yeah, sorry. You're out of luck. Yep. Number seven, you give people bulletins or other handouts as they're entering your service. First of all, the next oh generation views that as environmentally insensitive. Beyond that, the next generation expects anything of importance to be communicated online everywhere they might possibly go uh, to look. And it goes on. I just... So many of these. I'm like, why can't you do both? Why not both? But okay. I can feel you getting angrier. Not right. angry. Just kind of like, eh, I don't feel like they all need to be neither or, but okay. Ten reasons you're not reaching the next generation from Tony Morgan. Number eight, you still promote new membership classes during your services. Do you do that at four? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, he says the next generation is not a member of anything. It's a foreign concept to them. They'll subscribe to Netflix, but membership to an institution, not a chance. <laughs> Number nine, you aren't creating Instagrammable moments. Oh, boy. In In other words, you need to create environments and moments that are so captivating that young adults want to let their friends and followers know about it. Okay. Is that, are we, do we really want to finish this? You got to finish it. <laughs> Number 10, your technology is outdated. I've been in way too many church auditoriums where the audio and video quality was poor. Most adults have better technology in their living rooms or in the palm of their hands than most churches have in their auditoriums. And he says, here's a bonus. You plan the services and the teaching without giving any young adult a voice in the process. That actually is a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, that's not what was yeah, yeah. How can you expect to connect with the next generation if you don't include them in the planning of your worship and teaching experiences? Yep. That yep. was not bad. These aren't bad. This just makes me more uncomfortable with the we're trying to shoot just for one. And and maybe I'm naive, like I said in the beginning. Like, But you remember a couple of, like a month ago, we did that article that we were like, that's crazy where that one church like told older people they weren't welcomed anymore and they needed the space. That kind of feels like this uh, in a little bit like, nope, we're going to do this and this and this. And uh, I don't know. Some of these <laughs> some of these don't feel like they, they unnecessarily feel like an either or. Well, and a lot of times what I'm reading is that the next generation is actually interested in like high church yes. liturgical spaces Agreed. and gatherings. And so part of me wonders like if, you know, this has a lot to do, I imagine, with like region, like where in the country you're coming from. True. I also think sometimes even if it's in a region where there's a, a large clamoring for more technology, sometimes the wisdom of the church is to say, hey, we know this is what you're really craving. What you actually need is the opposite. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I remember hearing... Andy Stanley, though, years ago, and this is sort of where I'm, I'm a little convicted. He said, um, being the older guy in the room coming up, you know, we're talking about the, the next generation leaders. He said, I can either fight it or I can fund it. Yes. And I remember the, like the humility in that position. I'd love to know how that actually like plays out, you know, in right. a, <laughs> in a systemic way in their church. But, uh, either way, we'd love to know what you think of this. They're person. interesting. Yes. They're definitely interesting. What do you think? What do you absolutely disagree with? What would you add to it? Maybe. And uh, all of that can be found on our Facebook page, the common good radio show in sort of keeping in this theme coming up next, seven proven ways to break your cell phone addiction. Mm. That's coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook if you want to. I encourage you to. Facebook. Nope. The Facebook? The Facebook, yeah. The Facebooks. <laughs> the Common Good Radio Show. You see our smiling Photoshop faces there with a the little green banner. We post all of our articles there, too, so if you ever want to interact, if you want to go through and read something that we talked about, it is all right there. Plus, you can send us messages, uh, suggestions for shows or topics, or even guests. You can send all that there. You can also find us at 1160hope.com or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And uh, here's a topic that we've I feel like we've tackled a number of times. Yeah. But Becoming Minimalist is a website that is pretty consistently posting some pretty good material, some of it better than others, but... A few years ago, I started to really read and watch a good deal more about minimalism. Yeah. Haven't changed much about my actual life. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, as your kids get older and you start to face some of this stuff if you guys do. I mean, I already am with just with toys. Like, toys yeah. are just showing yeah. up. And I'm like, what are this Where extra this bucket of toys? Yeah, I don't want more of this. <laughs> but it's people just give it to you. So and it just true. sort of. So, like, we already weren't doing great yeah. as. Um, before we had kids, you had kids in the mix. I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. they own most of this house now. And then huh? you feel like their plastic toys are just reproducing themselves. Like, oh. wait a minute, <laughs> where'd that come from? Wasn't that the premise of Toy Story? No, not, not no, exactly. Not the reproducing part. <laughs> uh, I saw a different movie. Um, so this is not about children's toys or toys being sentient. This is, uh, the so title fun. is Seven Proven Ways to Break Your Cell Phone Addiction. So this is one of those things, I was just chatting with a friend uh, earlier today too and he was talking about Oh, who wrote the book Deep Work? Mm, I do not know. I, I can look it up. Either way, part of what he was saying was multiple times throughout this book, uh, the people that will be successful in the future are the ones that are able to concentrate for long periods of time on like a single topic. And he makes the case multiple times that like technology and social media is is really preventing you from doing that well. And one of the guys was suggesting get a flip phone, like go oh, that man. far. So this is a this is the kind of thing that I'm fairly confident a lot of our listeners will yeah. uh, have at least some relationship you to. Read the, let me read these just yeah, please do. These statistics yeah. are they start these they say these statistics, addiction statistics statistics <laughs> are over easy for me to say are overwhelming. And then I read them and I was blown away by them. The typical cell phone user touches his or her phone. 2,617 times every day. Uh-huh. Most people on average spend three hours and 15 minutes on their phones each day. Mm-hmm. Ha- Listen to this one. Half of all phone pickups, so not answering your phone because we don't know how to do that anymore, right, but right, literally picking right. up your phone. Half of all phone pickups happen within three minutes of the previous one. Wow. I mean, that speaks to, and I'm guilty as anyone in this. That speaks to it, uh, cell phones being an addiction, like yeah. needing to see it three minutes after you just put it down is wild. Well, and this is sort of to follow the uh, rubric for which how we write sermons often is here. here's some of the why, why, why that matters. So it says the impact of this usage is staggering. So some of the bulleted usage uh, impacts, reducing the quality of conversations, adversely impacting short-term memory and problem solving negatively affecting our sleep patterns, resulting in more negativity, distress, and less emotional recovery in young Ooh. children, increasing obesity, and the positive correlation between smartphone addiction and depression is alarming. So with those stats coupled with some of the impact it's making, even if you're listening, you're thinking, eh, I probably have only a moderate addiction to cell phones. Mm-hmm. 
something about this article I, I am convinced will resonate with you at some level. So why don't you why don't you get us into some of how to actually break the addiction? By by re, by resonate, you mean they make me feel guilty because yeah, right. these are <laughs> these are good. But when I read some of those stats, and I also think about you know kind of the way the tendency for my kids and their friends are too. Yeah, right. Like this is a big deal. Like I, that's kind of why we talk about a lot. This is a big deal. Number one. Uh, seven proven ways to break your cell phone addiction. Number one, set aside one day per week. This is by far the most common approach I see among people who have taken intentional steps to curb their cell phone habit nowadays. But I credit, this is the author writing, but I credit Tammy Strobel for being the first person I heard talk about it almost 10 years ago. Choose one day each week, usually a Saturday or a Sunday, and set your phone aside. That's it. Make a habit of it. Sounds like Sabbath, doesn't it? That Number does two, sound like Sabbath. Use a thirty-day experiment to reset your usage. For me personally, this has been the most helpful way to break my cell phone habit. My cell phone use, when not intentionally limited, tends to take over more and more of my free time. It happens unintentionally and quietly. I don't even seem to notice it happening, which is for sure. Uh, seven years ago, I gave up my smartphone for Lent mm. and used it only for calling and texting. No other apps allowed, even maps and photos. Whoa. It was a 40-day period of reset that helped me align my usage with more important pursuits in life. Since that first experiment, I have used the 30-day reset two additional times, each with great success. I love that idea. Don't know if I'll do it. No. (laughs) No, that one looks really hard. Right? That looks really hard. Do you think when you – like let's take the one where you put it away for a day. Yeah. Is that uh, still make – you know, your phone rings, still answer, still check your text they're saying, but nothing else? I haven't had the ringer on my phone on in 12 years. Are you certain? Yeah, wow. yours is always vibrating and ringing. It always blows my mind that yours is like that. So you don't even get, like, it, yours doesn't, like, if you get a text, it doesn't vibrate? Wow. No, no because if I'm meeting with somebody and it's vibrating in my pocket, I'm distracted now. I don't that ever, is true. I, I only check it when I know that I have a moment to check it. That is true. Okay, now I've been convicted again. Number three, <laughs> use apps to better self to bolster self-control. There are many, uh, there are apps for almost every problem in life. In fact, there are even some wonderful apps built to help us limit our time on our devices. Here are some of my favorites. Hmm. Uh, The first one is called Space. Set goals and track your daily progress to manage your habits. Uh, The next one's called Forest. This one costs $1.99. Stay focused, be present. Forest is a beautifully designed app that brings gamification to productivity and results in real trees being planted. Whoa. Moment. This helps you sort through daily exercises. Another one called Flipped, F-L-I-P-D, Lock Away Distracting Apps for Complete Focus. And the last one's called Screen Time. Set daily usage limits on your phone or specific apps. Those all sound awesome. Yes. All right, number four out of how many, how long is this list? Seven. Seven ways to break your cell phone addiction. Uh, number four, don't charge your phone near your bed. I was better at this at one point. I'm, I'm not bad anymore. at this. Says, want to know the best way to keep your kids off their phones too much? Don't allow them to charge their phones in their bedroom. Want to know a great way to keep yourself off your phone? Don't charge in your bedroom. Many of the negative effects of overuse, poor sleep, hindered communication, intimacy, blah, 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 can be eliminated by keeping your cell phone out of your bedroom. As with many of the items on the list, there's a link to another uh, article that uh, is a little bit helpful there. Number five, put your phone away when you walk in the door. Hmm. Christopher Mims writes a weekly technology column for Wall Street Journal, a job that requires the use of tech on a consistent basis. Hmm. His simple and proven way to keep life in healthy balance with his cell phone is to put it in a kitchen cabinet at the end of the workday. In his words, the more you physically remove the phone, the more you can build a habit of having some ability to ignore it. 
uh, when it's oh, on man. your person. That's I like good. that. Number six, change your phone settings. This one might be for you, Brian. Yes, exactly. among the most often Teach suggested <laughs> among the most often suggested ideas for reducing cell phone usage, you find tips and tricks by simply changing the settings on your phone. The most common suggestions are mm-hmm. turn off notifications, set screen to black and You've white. You've talked which about I do. that one a lot. Yeah. Uh, remove distraction-based apps from your home screen. I've also done that. Set a longer passcode. That's a good idea. Use airplane mode. Turn on do not disturb. In my opinion, turning off notifications is something everyone should do regardless of how habitual their cell phone use is. Just because someone in the world wants to text you, email you, or tag you in a post on Facebook doesn't mean they deserve your attention. Is a serious question. Distraction-based apps, is that like Facebook, Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, my my home screen right now, I I think I've showed it to you before, uh, is just... Uh, text, call, alarm, yeah, and calendar. Yeah. All right. Last one. Put a hairband around your phone. Hmm. One of the most thoughtful personal stories I've ever read on how to overcome cell phone addiction, addiction Brad Soraka recommends placing a hairband around your cell phone. When placed in the middle of the phone, the hairband allows users to answer phone calls easily, but makes other uses of the phone more difficult, including simple texting. In hmm. his words... Every time you want to use your phone, this brings about mindfulness exercise mindfulness exercise, and makes you ask, what's my intention? If you really want to use the phone, set your intention for why and remove the hairband. That's kind of an interesting idea. An sort interesting. of like, remember when you were a kid and they would have you like tie a string around your finger as a reminder? Yes, yes. It feels like almost the same kind of principle, just to jar you a little bit out of the mindless. Right. Why am I scrolling? Why am I looking at oh this? My gosh, Either yeah. way. I'm really convicted by this one. I hope one or two of those is actually compelling. Again, we'd love to hear your feedback and interaction on the Facebook page. What things have you found to be helpful? What suggestions do you find to be absurd or ridiculous? What are some of the t- tips and tricks that you have when it comes to cell phone addiction? Well, I want to kind of keep in this vein uh-huh. of cell phones and technology. So here's the headline of the next article. When I have to search a student's cell phone, I'm sick to my stomach at what I find. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. We post all of our articles there. Also, somebody was asking me about this. Sometimes it's articles that don't actually make it to the show. Oftentimes. You'll, uh, you especially will put stuff up there. That's yeah, really other things that are happening in the world. So I had someone the other day say... The Common Good Facebook page has actually become one of my favorite awesome. like news sources of like just stuff that's happening in the world. Yeah. So if that's not a motivation to follow, I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah. And you'll also – this might motivate some people. And I, I, I think uh, people should know that you're you're much more prolific at posting there than I am. I don't know that prolific is the word. And uh, you sometimes will put up really funny stuff that we don't talk about on our show. Yeah, just that, for just for kicks and That meals. is kicks. Yeah, that, that I when I see, I'm like, oh, that's funny. So go ahead and <laughs> follow and you'll see them. Yeah. Highly encourage you to do so. You can I also get too. the podcast. You can also find us at 1160hope.com. And uh, before I get into this, we're kind of having like a technological hour right now. We are. This guy wrote an article about whenever he has to take phones from students, uh, what he finds on their phones is actually really terrifying. But before we do that, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about Thrivent, Thrivent Financial. I'm a Thrivent member. I think I'm allowed to say that. Oh, absolutely. I just did. I've been for a long time yep. for a whole host of reasons. And if you ever have questions about why, just let me know. Um, But I want to tell you a little bit about them in Chicagoland in particular. So there's a Fortune 500 insurance and financial services organization right here in Chicagoland. They've been serving Christians for over 100 years, and they're called Thriving Financial. They're a non-for-profit membership organization of Christians helping members be wise with money and good stewards of the gifts that God has given them. And you can join yourself. You just go to thriving.com slash Chicagoland. But 
It also takes the right person to help Christians be wise stewards with money, to help guide others through their wise with money journey and the joy of learning how to live generously. And so I'm curious, are you passionate for serving others? Are you driven and have kind of an entrepreneurial drive? Well, then Thrivent Financial is looking for someone like you to explore new roles today at Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers. At Thrivent Financial, they know what it takes uh, and they know that it takes the right kind of person to guide others through this journey, especially with finances. So if you have any kind of bent like that or you're interested in walking with people, I cannot encourage you enough to head over to Thrivent.com slash careers right now. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> They're great. <laughs> probably not allowed to do that. Uh, so you you were mentioning off air, like this whole hour has been a little convicting to you. Oh, anytime we talk about cell phone use, really? it convicts me. <laughs> and anytime we talk about teenager cell phone use, uh, it does get me uh, worried may not be the right word. Like I feel like <laughs> every parent out there is going to give me that. Ah, you too, huh? Yeah, right. But I feel like we have very honest conversations with our kids. And only my oldest daughter, who is 16, has like a full data plan on her phone. But my right. other two in sixth grade and fifth grade have uh, – they've got uh, Wi-Fi-enabled phones, our right. old phones. Right. And uh, like I think I look at their phones a lot. I feel like I have a good handle on things. Until I read articles like this. Yeah, they right. Get me worried. So. Well, this one will end with uh, three tips for, quote, getting in your child's way. So as ways to kind of help monitor. Yeah. But why don't you read the uh, the precursor to the three tips yeah. to kind of frame this article a little bit. Yeah, the uh, assistant principal here said, when I have to search a student's cell phone, I'm sick to my stomach at what I find. It gets worse every year. So this becomes the assistant principal's plea for parents to mo- monitor cell phone use. He says the Internet is the most dangerous place behind closed doors. He says, parents, I'm an assistant principal. My number one job is to create and sustain a school environment where both students and teachers feel safe. I take my job very seriously. We work very hard to grow in our capacity to do this work. I can't begin to describe how much time I spend every day dealing with issues that stem from unsupervised cell phone usage by our by our students. In the situations where I have to search a student's cell phone, I often get sick to my stomach at what I find. Highly inappropriate photos, videos, messages, social media usage, etc. The things our students are willing to try and be a part of at a young age gets worse and worse every year. Yikes. When I call parents to inform them of what's going on, I always ask them how often they search their kids' phones. The shock gets even worse when 90% of them say hardly ever or never. Whoa. And when they get upset at me, accuse me of lying to, uh, to them about their kids' roles in certain situations or expect me to somehow fix the situation. Parents, it's your number one job as a parent to get in your kids' way at all times. <laughs> kids do not deserve privacy without accountability. Hmm. You own their devices, not them. You should be having the hard conversations with them about life, relationships, their bodies, their futures. Hmm. It's your responsibility, he writes, to provide social and emotional support to help build coping skills and monitor their activities, especially online. So please stop We're actively working against the schools and start working with us. Here are three tips for, quote, getting in your child's way. And he says you can modify any of these based on your relationship with hmm. your children. That is convicting. Yeah, uh, 90%. Does that number surprise you? I, it disappoints me. Yeah. Uh, because it, that feels like low-hanging fruit. Like, We've said to our kids, hey, we bought the phone. We're paying for them. As long as you're going to have them, we can look at any time. 
So my bigger fear is like, what if they were if they were gonna be like this? What can they hide? But for ninety percent right. to be like, no, I don't even look at it. That's right. That's so asinine. for you, you you're not convicted by that part. Like, oh no. yeah, we check. Yes. We make it very clear. Yes, this is ours. Yes. And you and know, I it's a do privilege. it when my kids see me doing it, so they're reminded I can do this. Oh, <laughs> yes. that's interesting. You do it. In front Sometimes. of them. Oh, yeah. I'll just take their phone. What are you doing? I'm going to look at your phone, and they're standing there. Oh, I never even thought about the drama of doing it in front of them. Sure. I also do it when they're not around. But Yeah, yeah my two-year-old never lets me have his <laughs> cell phone because I was holding on to He's so strong. Okay, so these are the three tips for uh, getting in the way, getting in your child's way, particularly when it comes to cell phone usage. Number one, eat dinner as a family every night possible and actually talk. No mm. devices allowed. Current research suggests parents only spend about eight minutes a day in conversation Damn. with their kids. Is that – did we read another article about that a couple months ago? Believe it, probably. That's just unbelievable. Eight minutes a day. Man. And again, I want to be sensitive to like parents that have to work multiple jobs or sure, have but I would you know, doubt crazy that's schedules. the majority of Man, this. Man, eight uh, minutes. That's crazy. What's number two? Check their devices randomly and often. Hmm. You need to learn, he writes, how to navigate their world. Inform yourself on how to use certain apps. Keep up with what apps are the most downloaded in the app store. Make your kids show you their content and conversations and explain to you what is going on. Mm. Then give them advice. And then in, in a capital letters, make content with them and be part of their online oh, presence. Oh, that's pretty interesting. That is interesting. My uh, wife and I watched some bizarre reality show. Documentary. It's, all, it's no. not a documentary. It's very, very weird. It felt like a Black Mirror episode, but it was sort of a game show where everyone's in these isolated apartments and they can only interact with each other via a closed social media network called The Circle. Okay. But you couldn't tell who was really who they were saying they were and who wasn't. It was a game. But one of the guys uh, in the apartment with him, he had his mom. And she was like weighing in on, no, don't say that to her. Don't say that. It was very interesting watching that dynamic. It made me me think of that. You find the strangest shows. Yeah, it was very weird. Uh, (laughs) And number three, create opportunities for them to have experiences. Take Mm -hmm. them to do new things, to see new things, and to learn new things. This not only strengthens their brain development, emotional development, and builds resiliency in kids, but it also strengthens your relationship with them. And finally, do not let them take their phones into their rooms, shut their doors, and disappear for hours. Nothing good ever happens on the internet behind closed doors. The online world is by far the most dangerous place our students go every day. We cannot assume they will intuitively know how to navigate the dangers of the online world on their own. Please help us with this. Mm. What do you think of that? Uh, That one's convicting about don't let your kids into their room. It's the same reason. Remember, we used to always say, when you're a youth pastor, why do parents let their kids have a TV or, or right. a computer in their room? But when you let them with their phone, but I don't I, – I can't honestly say my kids are never in their room alone with their phone. Mm. Like it's just um, – a lot of this comes down to – this isn't the perfect answer. But oftentimes when we talk about these parent and kid issues, especially in the teenage years, it's like you got to start from early on building that trust and right. having these conversations. And if you feel like, well, I already dropped that ball, well, then – it's going to be awkward at first, but start the start conversation. Right. Start it and just be like, hey, I want to talk to you about that. And then uh, really the more trust and the more uh, – yeah, trust is the word I'm looking for. You can build up with your kid, the better off you're going to be. I'm sure I'm going to feel a whole lot more convicted around these articles when my kids are old enough yeah. for this to apply. Like right now, it's just mostly fear. Mostly fear-based. I have a two- and one-year-old. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yes. How much worse is the world going to be when a they're lot. teenagers? Oh, boy. That's not really how I feel, but it is a little uh, <laughs> a little convicting. Well, yeah. coming up next, here's the name of the article. It's actually in response to the Tony Morgan article we read earlier, and it's a little snarky of a title. It says, uh, an actual millennial responds to church efforts to attract millennials. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.
Hey everyone, it's Ian Simkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, an actual millennial responds to church efforts to attract millennials. Plus, we're going to talk about the most important words to say to your kids. And Beth Moore has a tweet we're going to talk about. That's all coming up next on The Common Good. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Also, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good on Twitter at Common Good Talk. We're up to uh, 43 followers or something. I probably should just say that on the show. Like, no, it is. Feel, hey, if you feel badly for us and our oh, Twitter followers. Does that pity motivation typically work? I'd still want to know what it says that we have so many Facebook followers and so few Twitter followers. I don't know if that's You ask anything. this every time. I know, but I, I, know I, I why can't it come is. up with an answer. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you off air why. Oh, I know what you're going to tell me. It's going to make me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> How do you even, you don't know what I'm going to say. Anywho, I uh, so we talked a little earlier in the show, this article from Tony Morgan, and uh, his article was written like more of a, it was, I don't know if it was snarky necessarily, but it had OK Boomer in the title, right? So, yeah, <laughs> so, so I guess the, off the bat, he says, 10 signs your weekend services aren't designed for the next generation. You and I probably didn't agree with a lot of them I necessarily. Really struggled with a lot of it, that's right. Well, and you were kind of admitting off air, you're like, I don't know. If I'm convicted or if I just completely disagree right, or right. somewhere in between. Yeah. So I found this other article that's an actual response to that article yep. written from the perspective of a millennial. So if you're new to the show, Brian and I are both pastors. That is what we spend the vast majority of our time kind of thinking about. And reaching millennials is a phrase that we hear a lot. And there have been books and articles and podcasts yeah. about how do we reach the younger generation. And that was the same thing 20 years ago. Yes. The church is always – uh, I think to some degree trying to figure out how can we how can we reach young people and uh, we've talked a good deal in the last year about how sometimes that's not even the right question we've had experts in that's the right. field that have written books that have kind of helped you know challenge some of our paradigms but this article was a little on the nose especially in light of the uh, Tony Morgan article so yeah. why don't you get us into it yeah so this millennial goes and takes you could tell uh, this author. Uh, has a real issues with what Morgan had to say uh, and goes point by point uh, and unpacks it. Tony Morgan's 10 signs because uh, he says, I'm Morgan's target market. I hate using that term, he says. And I've attended a pretty wide range of churches over the years. So I guess I'm as qualified as anyone to weigh in on whether this is what, quote, young people actually want. So you mm-hmm. might remember if you were listening to the show earlier, Morgan's first point was, uh, you're you're missing the younger generation if you tell people to open up their Bibles and turn to a certain chapter and verse that the next generation carries their Bibles with them all the time on their app. So we should be saying, turn on your Bibles. 
And this author says, who's actually put off by this? The Bible I carry with me to church every Sunday is a leather-bound King James Version <laughs> that my cra- my grandparents bought me for my confirmation. Every time I pick it up, I'm instantly reminded of the faith they passed down to my mother, who in turn, along with my father, conveyed that to me. He says, at least statistically, it's not at all clear to me that young people actually prefer to experience holy things through the filter of technology. Hmm. What do you find to be... Uh convicting or challenging about that do you agree or is that i want to agree you want to i do okay again i'm not in the target demographic here right but i don't i don't know that everybody in the next generation or in any generation is going i want everything to be easy and technologically driven which i think think morgan would probably agree with sure we 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 don't want to caricature either side here for sure but um, but man, a leather bound KG, KGV, <laughs> that's something, that's something right there. Well, do you find too, that part of what's difficult about some of these hot takes about how the church isn't engaging millennials is they're very rarely written by millennials. That's a great point. It's a valid point. I don't point. know if it's a great point. It's just something I've been challenged by. Like how much of that feedback is actually being informed by conversations with real yeah. millennials or yeah. Are we sort of trying to make some sort of sweeping statement about an entire And generation? in fairness, Morgan doing being a nationwide consultant probably does have a lot of those conversations. That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at, um, yeah. But, you know, it still remains to be seen how many actual millennials he's talking to. In those <laughs> well, and this is the other article that's referenced to by uh, Tony Morgan says how to lose a generation. Um, the article that was written, this was back in oh, just a, a few days prior. How to Lose a Generation Against Tony Morgan's Worship Quick Fixes. Um, again, I think most people know not to call those things quick fixes, yeah. but it does sometimes feel that way. And I think that's part of some of my rub that's against right. articles that are like, how do we reach millennials? Yes. Millennials are saying, if your whole goal is just to, quote, reach us, yeah. you've already sort of lost the plot with yeah. regards to how a lot of millennials – and again, millennials are as diverse as any generation. So. But it's really well put. It's, it's the same thing as when we talk about evangelism just as strategy. Yeah, like exactly. Like you go and right. you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to save your neighbors. And you're like, is that – man, something feels uh, like like – uncaring here something feels right like a telemarketer here and and so that's that's where you get it. so you remember morgan's number two uh, was all about your concern about the volume of the music the amount of haze or lights and this author goes right. on to say this is a fine example of what martin luther called quote enthusiasm seeking god inside oneself by way of a powerful emotional reaction speaking for both myself and a number of folks i know i'd bet five hundred dollars that most young people are well aware of the emotional manipulation inherent in a quote worship experience that relies on loud music haze and moving lights. That's not attractive. What is attractive is genuine conviction and a willingness to live and speak in ways that don't pander to popular consensus. Let's be frank. There's no way any church can top the sensory experience of your average nightclub Hmm. or rock concert. Again, this is one. It's not an either or as in one is right and one is wrong. Right. right? I don't think there's anything wrong with loud music and lights and haze or with candles and organs and this and that. Right. And I think that's what this author is trying to say, like that Morgan's basically pigeonholing his generation as like, hey, turn up the music and haze. That's what they all want. Well, and it was interesting because he was talking about the uh, Lord of the Rings where you admitted that you have not watched. I did admit that. The author said, okay, Morgan, or read. Mor- Morgan can have this one. Um Number six, though, you still have a CD ministry for people who don't know how to stream messages on their phone and computers. Here's how he responds. He says, treating a CD ministry as an example of churches being hilariously, quote, out of touch reflects a blinkered view 
of congregants' mm-hmm. needs. Most significantly, CDs allow homebound members, many of whom don't have much technological savvy, to remain involved in the life of the church. Yes. They're also much easier to listen to in the car, particularly for those adults without unlimited data plans for streaming. Frankly, this argument reflects quite badly on Morgan. It's a terrible idea to stop blessing older parishioners just because, quote, young adults don't use the same resources. One might as well say that churches should give up on hospice ministry because it's, quote, too depressing. And this is totally what you and I said, right? Yeah. Like, Maybe not that does snarky. There have to but, be, not that snarky, yeah, right? right? But why <laughs> does there have to be an either or? Like, why does right. there have to be CDs or podcast? Right. Like, uh, you... Hopefully, you've got a multi-generational congregation in which you're needing to use different forms. That was what number seven was. You give people bulletins as they're entering the service. Uh, He wrote, heaven help the biblical theologians who conducted careful exegesis over a lifetime uh, and clearly missed the 30-second investigation (laughs) principle. but anyway, just recycle your bulletins or use hymnals. Problem solved. Yeah. The snarkiness is uh, very millennial. Here. <laughs> well, what does that mean? I I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> I don't think I agree with that. I I, I think uh, I think millennials are probably statistically less snarky than a lot of probably Xers and Boomers that came before. Them. I don't other, know any of them. The other one, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I'm sure. The uh, number eight from Morgan's list. You still promote new membership classes during your services. He responds by saying, what exactly was our Lord saying when he said, make disciples of all nations? Was he just not really tuned into the millennial sensibility? The whole paradigm being employed here, deriving principles uh, for worship from observations of contemporaries' life's worst tendencies, is faulty. Why should any church simply pander to the rootlessness of the modern age? Mm. And here again, I have to wonder what the data actually says. Young people might be skittish about membership at any particular moment. But I'd venture that they still want it in the same way that most unattached young people still expect to have family someday. Mm. So I think that's actually pretty interesting. And again, yeah. it'd be interesting to have somebody who is like really like sat in some of this research for a while. Uh, because I think that would – at this point, a lot of this just feels like this has been my experience. And somebody else saying, yes. well, my experience is different, yeah. which is you know certainly valuable. But I'd be curious to know like statistically, do we actually see some of the same level of aversion – to some of the stuff that Morgan is stating here. Does this millennial author yeah. speak really on behalf of all millennials? Or, or is there this some... one an outlier? Right, sure. right. I don't think so, but I'd be curious to know what of these you see at work in your own church. Yeah, I think what I struggle with is, like you said, the painting with a broad brush that just says, to reach millennials, do this. To reach boomers, do this. To reach uh, Gen X, do this. And I do think deep down, while stylistically it can look different, I do think everyone is in churches is primarily looking for the same thing, right? They want to meet and understand who Jesus is uh, in the context of a community uh, of other believers. And again, that looks different, right? I'm not Mm. saying that all people should enjoy the exact same types of churches, but sometimes I think we lose the forest from the trees when we're like, this is exactly how we should do this, and this is how we should do this to reach that person. It just starts to feel too... I don't even know, too strategic, too, yeah. too pointed. And, I can get that. And, and well, I encourage is... you to go go read the rest of this, too, because uh, yeah. the way he responds to 9 and 10, uh, he says kind of admittedly, like, ah, this is when I started scrolling looking for a satirical Satire. sticker at the bottom. But uh, <laughs> I'll end with this because we're all out of time anyway. But uh, he says, my friend Gracie Olmstead has already said it better than I can, writing, the millennial generation is seeking a holistic, honest, yet mysterious truth that their current churches cannot provide. Protestant mm. churches that want to preserve their youth membership may have to develop a greater openness toward the treasure of the past. One thing seems certain, this sacramental yearning will not go away, which I just find actually like weirdly 
inspiring. I don't yes. know why, but in general, I think it's mindful, like you were saying, to keep the full spectrum of generations yes. in mind and to to pursue something intergenerational, not just multi-generational, yes. I think is really, really worth the hard work. And I think it's what happen. people want. I was with a group of people real fast two nights ago at a meeting, and they were planning something for our church. And one of the younger people said, I long for an intergenerational experience. Yeah. And to come from the millennial, I'm using your, that was really powerful. Yep, I totally believe that. All right, coming up next, the most important words to say to your kids. That's out of the Gospel Coalition, and we're going to talk about it here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on MySpace at myspace.com. We're huge on MySpace. Oh, the following on MySpace. You might be in our top eight. You should go see if you made our top eight. I, did you have a MySpace account? Yeah, of course I had a MySpace. I never did. What? Never did. You're so cool, Brian Fromm. No, I think I was because I wasn't cool at the time. Oh, is that what it is? I didn't even know to get on it. I feel like I've already said this once before. MySpace still exists, and it's beautiful. Really? Yeah. The new- <laughs> I didn't know MySpace still existed. Yeah. Well, that was maybe a year ago that I okay. checked last. But they reformat. I was like, man, it's a bummer. This will never be a big thing again because it actually nice. looks pretty, yeah, pretty wonderful. That's called perseverance right there. <sighs> Is that what it's called? I think so. <laughs> anyway, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get fine or average podcast, we are there, and you can decide for yourself which category we fit in. We're best. climbing the charts of below average podcasts. Mm, that is, that's sort of our space, right? Keep expectations low. Uh, so I mentioned it earlier, the most important words to say to your kids out of the Gospel Coalition, but before we dive into that, Brian Fromm and Andrew Peterson have a word for you. Uh, AM 1160 is excited to welcome songwriter and recording artist Andrew Peterson to Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church on Friday night, March 27th, for the first stop on the 2020 Resurrection Letters Tour. Don't miss your chance to see Andrew Peterson in concert. Tickets, they start at $25, and VIP tickets are available for $49 and include a pre-concert question and answer with Andrew. Group discounts are available for for groups of 10 or more. So get your tickets today at 1160hope.com. That's 1160hope.com. Why did you emphasize is excited at the beginning? When you were, when you were defending, you were like, hey, we are excited. <laughs> well, felt like the right place to put the uh, the emphasis. Like the like the beginning part of the conversation was, are you guys even excited? Are you excited? Hey, well, he is excited. <laughs> you don't get to tell me who I'm excited about. That's, that's, that's the, funny. That's the whole narrative I uh, created in my head while we were talking. <laughs> oh, you're questioning us? 1160? <laughs> How dare you question our excitement? I, we are excited. We are yes. excited. AM 60 is excited. Okay. We're done with that. Okay. That was uh, fine. <laughs> we're probably, all the mics, I can see how the levels just peaking right now yes. as we're screaming into our microphones. As we're climbing those podcast charts right All of now. the climbing the charts and climbing the decibels. This is from the Gospel Coalition from Eric Raymond, who also, I think, blogs at Ordinary Pastor. Is that right? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I was right. Yeah. Ordinary Pastor. You can also follow him on Twitter. Anyway, here's the uh, headline. The most important words to say to your kids. Mm. If you just had to guess right now what those words are, what would you say they are? Clean your room. <laughs> Don't hit your sister. <laughs> oh, no. How, how you're not on the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> get is, me my slippers. Yeah, get me my slippers. <laughs> sure. I, someone should be writing these down. Uh, I think it is something around unconditional love. I don't know what the words are exactly. I think you've already read this. Uh, I didn't. You didn't? No, I did not. Well, you're pretty close. You're okay. pretty. You're pretty spot what on. What are they? Well, why don't you get just get into the uh, introduction first, and then okay. we'll give them. 
The Parenting, like marriage, is usually not characterized by substantial events, but hundreds of smaller things that accumulate and shape the relationships between parents and their children. Personally, it's hard for me to believe that my wife and I have been parents now for nearly 25 years. We mm. began as non-Christians, were graciously saved, and then began learning the Bible. This had a substantial impact on our parenting. Soon, we started getting a better grasp on the gospel and its implications. We learned that the gospel wasn't only what saves us, but what also shapes us as Christians. Now, after seeing two kids grow to be adults and move out on their own with another four still in the home, I understand even more the importance of a simple phrase we've tried to communicate to our kids. Mm. And even more than saying it, we've been attempting to model its truthfulness and power. I commend it to you as the most important words I think you can consistently say to your kids. Here, Here they are. Is. Are you ready for them? No matter what you do, I will never love you any less. That's pretty good. That's powerful. I mean, that's kind of what you said, though, right? That was it sort of is. your answer. It is. But I just picture actually saying that to your children. Mm. Like, I think a lot of us, we try to embody that to our children. Right. But I think he's saying these are the most important words you can actually verbalize to your kids. You could say to your kids. And I do think there's greater power. Obviously, you want to live out this unconditional love on a daily basis. Right. But to say, to look your kid in the eye and say, I'll never love you any less, no matter what you do, I think mm. is is life-changing if a child is able to internalize that. Yeah, he goes on to say, this summarizes our relationship. We are a family, and this relationship is not bef- defined by what we do, either by doing good or bad. The kids do not earn their way in, and they cannot do anything to change their status. They are fixed. My wife and I love them no matter what. And then the uh, the quote here, the sort of tweetable Mm-hmm. Facebookable quote here <laughs> to look into one of our kids' teary eyes or upon their guilt gripped posture and say, No matter what you do, I will never love you any less is powerful and it's reflective of God's love for his children. Mm. I think, again, what, what are some of the barriers to, to this? Because I feel like most parents in their calmest states, and if they're calm right yes. now listening, they're like, Yes, I want to be that kind of parent yes. until my kid does this yeah, or I until think... I, I haven't slept enough in a couple of nights. Yeah. And my patience is worn thin, you know. And I think patience is the right word. I think yeah. it's the day in, day out um, aggravations or just interactions where. You know, you're you're just at wit's end and your kid has has disobeyed you again or not done this or for the people who are more performance focused on their kids. Hmm. Maybe your kid got a B instead of an A right, or right. maybe uh, isn't doing well on the in their park district soccer, whatever it might be. Because uh, there's also that danger where we can tell our kids, I love you when no matter what you do. Uh, but then we treat them differently when they get the A instead of the B or the C or whatever. Um, I think it's just that day to day. I think we all, most of us out there want to be good parents. And I think we all deep down want our kids to know this. It's just really hard to live out. It yeah. really is because sometimes like I'm unlovable at times or like my spouse no. is unlivable. Sometimes our kids feel a little mm. less lovable. I get that. Um, and then uh, and I like how he grounds this all in the gospel, that this is how our Heavenly Father looks at us. Yeah, let me let me read a little bit. Of it, Go for it's it. It's written so well. He says, if you're a Christian, then I'm sure it's transparent to you where this idea comes from. God's love for his children through Christ is not based upon our merits, which I would add mm-hmm. is very good news. We didn't love ourselves into Christ, and we can't sin ourselves out of him. Love begins with God and extends out to helpless and hopeless rebels. He quotes Romans 5, Ephesians 2. Our standing in God is based upon our union with Christ. We are in Christ. Therefore, God's love for us is fixed. Indeed, because of Christ, the Father says, no matter what you do, I will never love you any less. Mm -hmm. Because of the gracious plan of the Father, the work of the Son, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, being in God's family is a fixed status 
and his love. This is good news indeed. Therefore, as a parent seeking to reflect the gospel and uh, instruct our children, I think that's a good challenge, by the way, yeah. to seek to reflect the gospel in our parenting. Yeah. It is good to remind them and ourselves of this truth regularly. No matter what you do, I will never love you any less. As you can imagine, these words are so appropriate mm-hmm. when life giving amid times of pain, confusion, hurt, sadness, and disappointment. To look into one of our kids' teary eyes, as I read earlier, or upon their guilt-gripped posture and say, no matter what you do, I'll never love you any less, is powerful. This phrase will not save you from the pain and disappointment that is common in this world, but the sentiments behind it will provide a framework Mm. and a power for properly dealing with it. I've never regretted saying this. I only wish I could travel back in time and say it more often. That's powerful. That's so good, man. Do you remember, uh, this was like literally the first week of our show, and I still remember it, uh, my old friend, my old pastor Kelly Brady, I remember him. We were having a conversation, you and I, about something like this. And he said that when one of his kids was like in high school, he said, even if you don't follow Jesus, yeah, I'm going to love you. You're still my son or my daughter. I won't right. love you. That's where this really gets difficult. Right, like if your kid right. rejects you or your faith or something, right. to still be able to say, hey, I still love you. It's one thing to say, oh, if they get a B instead of an A. But what about when they're just they're they're just do, giving you everything you can, and you're like, right. I can't do this anymore. Then to still have this posture is really where it's powerful, but also difficult. It's a good challenge. So the idea of reflecting the gospel in your parenting is yeah. not quite the same. But I remember a leadership quote I heard years ago, and it's surprising that this has stuck with me for this long. the The speaker I don't remember who it was speaking, but he said, "The challenge I give to all you young leaders is before making a decision, ask yourself." Would a great leader do this? Mm-hmm. And actually picture a leader that you really admire. Mm-hmm. And so I picked a leader in my head as a 21-year-old. And there have been so many t- – I haven't done this perfectly, obviously. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you know, when I'm presented with an option or I want to lash out or I want to – I ask, oh, would so-and-so do this? And I think maybe in parenting the same kind of rule could apply. Like if I want to reflect the gospel to my kids, I think it's worth having like parenting mentors mm-hmm. or having people that have you know maybe a little further along than you and mm-hmm. saying – Okay, right now I don't feel like doing this, but mm-hmm. I do know that in my most sober moments I want to behave like them. Yeah. Would they talk to their kid like this? Would mm-hmm. they behave that yep, way? Yep, yep. For whatever reason, kind of framing it that way has always kind of been helpful. That's for helpful. Me. Well, coming up next, a uh, tweet from Beth Moore that's talking a little bit about time alone with God and some of the pitfalls that pastors tend to fall in. We're going to talk about that next, coming up on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You guessed it. Joined as always, or joined as most. Joined, joined as usual. Sure. Joined. <laughs> Continuing to be joined by. <laughs> that feels like more of a commitment than I'm ready for. Right? <laughs> Continuing forever and ever to be joined at the hip with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, plus wherever it is you get your podcasts. Before we dive into this tweet from Beth Moore, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Thrivent Financial. I'm a Thrivent member, big fan of Thrivent. There's actually a number of events coming up uh, in the f- next few months here in okay. Chicagoland. If you're interested in finding out more, thrivent.com slash Chicagoland. But it also takes the right person to help Christians be wise stewards with their money. I've been the recipient of a number of people that like, I've honestly just outright said, can you help me not be dumb with money? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I know that I need that. And uh, Thrivent has certainly been one of those sources um, to guide people through that. To not only just be like financially stable, but to honestly, and we've talked about this before, there's a lot of joy in being able to be generous. There you is. can't really live generously if 
like you're strapped or stressed right. all the time. And so, another, I would say another way to put it is generosity it takes planning, right? Yeah, generosity yes, takes intentionality. Right, totally. And that's part of what Thriving is so good at. They actually yeah. help people uh, plan to do that. So I want to encourage you, if you're interested in actually being the kind of person that comes alongside other people to not just help them kind of get financially stable, but to actually help them like to live generously in the world, you can visit thriveit.com slash careers. You can get paid while you develop your skills and your business. And if you're listening and you have a passion for serving others, you have an entrepreneurial spirit, you're maybe already in that market, but it's like sucking the life out of you and you mm. want to you want to give back or you want to partner with other Christians, uh, this would be a really great opportunity for you. So head on over to thrivent.com slash careers and uh, maybe mention that Ian from The Common Good sent you. Yes, you should definitely mention that. Totally agree. Yep. All right, what's this tweet all about? Yeah, Beth Moore is prolific at tweeting, and there's always good stuff. And so I'd encourage you to follow her at Beth Moore LPM. Um, and Beth Moore wrote this or tweeted this. Minister, uh, you do not have time to miss your time alone with God. You'll do 10 times the work trying to craft messages, create environments, and curate images that at best possess all the color and crackle of a real fire without a wit of holy heat. Oh, snap. Production can't produce presence. Oh, man. She went on to, she wrote a second tweet that says, Paul's words in Galatians 3, 3 through 4 are haunting. Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Hmm. Did you experience so much for nothing? And then she says, we who are called by the Spirit cannot fulfill our calling with the flesh. It takes God to serve God. Dang. So well written. And that line, production can't produce presence. Woo. Yeah. But this is something when you read it, you're like, that's not only obvious. Like, of course, this is true, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That you're going to, it's going to take a lot more work uh, if you're trying to produce it on your own. Uh, Don't miss your time alone with God. This is, uh, this is obvious on some level. This is true. And this is hard. Well, I think sometimes something that we fly that we miss. Yeah, the obvious ones I think are sometimes the most difficult. Exactly, the way that we would sometimes talk about this in preaching settings is some things can be simple and still really difficult. Yes, like the concept of downhill skiing. I get the concept of downhill skiing. (laughs) I like that. Start up here, and I want to make it down here and not die. Like that seems very simple, but you actually like strap some skis on me, and I will soon discover (laughs) it's way harder. And then I realized, and I think this is one of those types of things. Actually, I'm glad you chose this one because, as uh, some of you know, I was away at seminary for a week, and this was actually my preaching class, so I was, like, extra jazzed to be there. And this was a lot of the theme. Like, Was it? Yeah, you can't – it was so – and I love preaching so much. um, And I went into it certainly, like, wanting to hone a a craft and a skill. But uh, our professor was just so on the money. He talked repeatedly about the importance – of actually really sitting in a text and letting it work on you and letting that actually um, be something that you're challenged and shaped and formed by. Mm. And he talked about the danger of just simply preaching things that we haven't really grappled with or wrestled with. And um, that takes, I think, to Beth Moore's point, an opportunity to just simply be alone with God. And it is kind of tricky, and this is a little inside baseball because not everyone listening, you know, our pastors are working the church, but sometimes when you, like, quote— do church work for your job. Yes. You can buy into the myth that like, well, everything that I do is time with God. Mm-hmm. Brian Fromm, is that true? No, no. no. There's <laughs> such a difference between between studying for uh, a sermon or, or writing a sermon than just reading your Bible and spending time right. in prayer. 
and spending time just in God's presence. They're totally different. Yeah. And so often us pastors, especially ones who preach, uh, we excuse uh, not spending time alone with God with like, I'm in the Bible 20 hours this week right. trying to write the sermon. So different. Yeah, it's way, it actually makes me think of uh, Revelation 2 where he's saying uh, he begins first with like some encouragement. Like, I see what you're doing and you're calling out false teachers and you're working real hard and good for you. But yep, I, I, yep. I hold this one thing against you. You've left your first love. Mm. And then he talks about repenting. He says, repent, turn and do the things you did at first. And I remember thinking – and the only time I really ever see the word repentance usually is in reference to sin of some kind. Mm-hmm. So this writer seems to believe that like doing things for God but not doing things with God is a repentable offense. Interesting. And I think that's yes. super interesting, that idea that like, yeah, you can do a lot of things for God and not do any of it with God. Mm. The goal isn't just to do, you know, God things or Christian things. The goal is intimacy. The goal is like union with Christ. And I think – Sometimes pastors might even be most in danger of missing this because yeah. the expectation's always out there and Sunday's always coming and you yeah. always have a yeah. meeting and you always have a – you got to be writing this or doing this or going yeah. there or speaking here. And I think this idea of just simply – I was chatting with a pastor this morning and we were talking about that Martin Luther quote where he said, I have so much to do today that I need to spend the first three hours of it in prayer. And I remember thinking, how counterintuitive yeah. is that for most of us? Most of us would say, I have so much to do today, prayer can wait. Till tomorrow. Yes. Luther seemed to understand, like, no, there's so much life and vitality in this. Because my day is so busy, this this is an even bigger priority. Yes. I thought, man, sometimes my life is so far from reflecting it's that. so true. I remember that quote, too. And and this is a problem for pastors, but you could remove the word ministers at the beginning. And it's still right. Right. whatever it is you do, parents, uh, what you know, businessman, teacher, whatever – we we so often, and I'm guilty of this. We we and this is what the Luther quotes about uh, on some level. We we treat our uh, personal you know I, you know time with God in His presence in prayer and in Scripture. Uh, we treat that as like a uh, an add on. Right. Like if I've got the time, if I could do this, but right. oh, right now I got to get these emails out. Right, right. now, Prayer's I got like to do frosting. this. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And what Luther said was like, no, but that's the foundation. Uh-huh. And then you can attack this busy day that you've got. And it, right. it requires some planning. Maybe you got to get up a little bit earlier or whatever else yeah. it might be. But for a lot of us, ministers and or, or non-ministers, what a lot of us do is we sail right past it. Oh, I'll get to that tomorrow. Right, oh, I'll do right. that tomorrow. And, and it just never becomes a real part of our life. And then as Beth Moore says, your life is going to be <laughs> – she's talking to the minister, like your life's going to be harder trying to make this all up on your own. And well, and I like what she says there too. Like you can create moments. What'd she say that at best possess all the color and crackle of real fire yes. without a wit of holy heat. Yeah, it's hard. The part that's so haunting about that is, yeah, there are plenty of you who are talented enough. Yeah. We've all done it. You could create and curate an environment that feels genuine, feels authentic, feels yeah. even holy. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and I think that's what, I remember that preaching seminar I, I went to years ago that ended with Charles Stanley. And he looked straight in the camera and said, a man preaches as well as he prays. Mm. And that was after like a whole day of like tips and tricks and resources and all stuff that was really good. But he like ended this conference like with a tear in his eye. Ultimately, a person preaches as well as they pray mm. and like walked off. And the whole, the whole room was like off. silent. Like it was so good. Everyone's and, got their pens out like ready to write. Oh, yeah, right. Like yeah. we had all these things that we were going to write down. And I thought, man, that I will never forget that moment because not only was it like a deeply moving moment, but I, but I think he's I think he's right. He's I think right it's on. true. Yep. Well, 
You want to land this plane? Let's do it. Let's do it. Coming up next, we're going to land the plane the way we do most days. We didn't yesterday, and that's because we had two brilliant guests in the studio. If you did not listen to the show yesterday, by the way, with Jesse Jesse Oxford and Mark Galley, highly encourage you to listen to that. But we're going to land the plane with some interweb insanity, stories we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. It's don't worry, it's almost over. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're almost done for you, but but uh, not quite yet though. We end most every show with a little interweb insanity. So what that means? Stories that we have not read, with accompanying sound effects we have not heard, just real life things from the internet. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning. But a number of people use these things as sermon illustrations. So we're contributing to the common good here on the common good. Maybe not good. Also, maybe not common. We're contributing. We're contributing to something. <laughs> In some capacity. Ryan Fromm, why don't you kick us off? Washington State burglar in basement of Washington State home was a young deer. Oh, uh, oh, oh dear. This is going to be a deer. I'm guessing already the sound uh, clip. Bambi. Sound of music. What, what is the sound of music like? A doe. A deer. Oh, yeah. Duh. Sorry. Wildlife officers in Washington State said authorities were called to a home on a report of a breaking and entering and discovered the perpetrator was a confused deer. Uh, they said a woman who was home alone summoned sheriff's deputies to her home when she heard basement windows shatter, followed by loud noises inside her home. The department said deputies arrived ready to confront the burglar and were surprised to find the intruder was a young female deer that crashed through the window. Oh! A deer! A female deer! a variation of what I so said. So does it mean... Well, yeah, but I don't... Sound of Music can't take credit. Is it Doe, a deer, a female deer? The Simpsons they, was playing off that. But they, but you know Sound of Music wasn't the first to do that, though, right? It's the first time I heard it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's fair. Next one's out of Ohio. America's... Something. Uh, Ohio police share video of driver knitting behind the wheel. Mm. Huh. Police in Ohio are warning of the dangers of distracted driving after a woman was caught on camera knitting behind the wheel. The Columbus Division of Police tweeted a video. The officer tweeted while he was driving. (laughs) A video showing a driver at a stoplight in Upper Arlington knitting behind the wheel of her vehicle. Ohio law classifies distracted driving as a secondary offense, meaning police are not allowed to use it as the sole reason for pulling a driver over. But they can issue tickets for the offense if the traffic stop occurs for another violation. You know you're driving, right? Ah! Ah! <laughs> What's, what is that from? I don't know. Uh, Florida, you can get paid $1,000 to watch 15 hours of The Office. I saw this 
for all you Office fans, there is a company out there that will pay you $1,000 to watch 15 hours of the sitcom. Dish Network is still searching for someone to binge watch The Office in honor of the show's 15th anniversary. The first episode airs March 20, aired March 24th, 2005 and lasted for nine seasons. According to the company, the lucky fan will get $1,000 in cash, a Netflix gift card, and a bag of The Office merchandise. Huh. The only requirement is to watch 15 hours or about 45 episodes of the show. The individual will be required to complete a checklist identifying common tropes throughout each episode. Those who are interested have until Monday, March 16th to apply. An online application can be filled out. You can post a video submission to boost your chances of winning. They're trying to make me an escape code. (laughs) (laughs) I loved that show. Yeah, were you the one that was telling me that you didn't think that show could ever exist in like modern times? That was not me. It wasn't you? I think it could because everyone watches it still. Nah, I don't think it could. Too much. I don't know what you mean by too much, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, maybe. I got another Ohio one. Robbers in Ohio apologize for hitting wrong apartment, then steal anyway. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, I guess. The pair of robbers apologized profusely after saying they broke into the wrong Cleveland apartment but robbed the man inside anyway, according to police reports. The robbers repeatedly told the male resident they wouldn't hurt him but had to get something out of it since they were already there. <laughs> no arrests have been made in, uh, in the Wednesday robbery. And the 32-year-old victim wasn't injured. Well, that's good. Police reports say the man heard noises on his fire escape about 2 a.m., opened a window, and found two men pointing guns at him. You filthy criminals. That's about right. I am going to end this with an Ohio. Oh, my goodness. Coming up strong, Ohio. College student brings llama in tuxedo to his sister's wedding, keeping years-old promise. My hero. A Cleveland college student pulled a stunt for the ages at his sister's wedding, beginning with a promise made nearly half a decade ago. Mendel Weinstock, 21, a student at University of Akron, made a peculiar proposal to his sister during a 2015 road trip from Ohio to Indiana. He would only attend her wedding whenever it would be with a llama in tow. He told the USA Today that he was peeved that his sister was talking about her wedding as if it was going to happen the next day. Reva, then 17, didn't have any plans for getting married anytime soon. Eventually, she got so upset that she said the llama is invited to the wedding. In October, Reva got engaged. Naturally, the plan she agreed to, perhaps as a joke, got pushed into full gear. Come last Sunday, he stuck true to his promise, bringing a llama to the wedding. Ever since that day, I've promised her that I'd bring a llama, he said. I fulfilled that promise. Weinstock rented a llama for a whole day for $400, a very good boy named Shockey, <laughs> and persuaded a co-worker to sew a tuxedo for the llama with a yarmulke. Yarm- I don't know. A match. <laughs> I'm a llama again. Wait. That might be one of my favorite cartoons of all time, actually. Which one was that? That was Emperor's New Groove. Oh, I do remember the Emperor's New Groove. Have yes. you actually seen Emperor's New Groove? I have. I have. You've seen Emperor's New Groove, but none of the Lord of the Rings? Yeah, you forget. I've been I've been in the kid zone for many years now. That's that, true. That I do, a lot, I a lot of that. animated movies hey, for me. Before we wrap up today, can they tell Alexa to play <laughs> the common good? Sure, sure they can. You still don't know? No idea. You promised profusely on the show yesterday. Monday. All right. Anyone believe that? I asked Mark Galley to do it. He didn't do it. <laughs> he probably already did because he's a better friend. <laughs> Tune in on Monday each and every day if you want, 4 to 6 p.m. right here on AM 1160. Listening to The Common Good. We'll see you next week, everyone.